Well, if you remember from last week, we were talking about a fun and popular topic of submission. And we talked about submitting to authority, uh, whatever that authority was in our life. And uh, the verses we looked at in context were that of a servant, but it applies in other contexts as well, of obeying those in authority over us as doing service unto the Lord. It's His command to us that we submit to Him. Um, and so we're serving by obeying. We're doing it heartily. It means lively. Um, again, as unto the Lord. Um, with an attitude that desires to please. Not rebellious or um, desiring to undermine. Um, but to please in all things. And avoiding things uh, like lip service or eye service or being unfaithful. And you all know what I mean by lip service and eye service. It's you're saying and doing one thing for an appearance, but when you're not under the microscope or being examined, you're doing something different. Um, and this is all really starts from the, the heart out, right? We serve from the heart out. Um, and so I, I'm, these, are, these are all commands written to believers. Because unless you've got that new heart within you, you will find it very difficult to do this. For any length of a time, this is this is a miracle of grace. Okay, and if you need a good example to study out and see someone who lived it out, go look at Joseph. Right, Joseph uh, had some dreams. We talked about that just a little bit, um, and his brothers were not keen on listening to those dreams. He was already daddy's favorite. He had ratted them out once on uh, when they had mis- been misbehaving, and so daddy sent him to go check on them. And they had, were not where they were supposed to be. They had gone quite a few miles north. And by the time they got, he got there, they'd already had a plan. They're going to deal with him. Um, but rather than killing him, they sold him into slavery, right? At 17 years old, he goes into slavery. And for the next 13 years, he was a slave. Initially, he was in Potiphar's house. And you know what kind of slave he was? The absolute best that he could be. He was obedient so much. So much so that Potiphar saw that whatever that slave touched got better. And the Lord was blessing him in that. It was like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, whatever they touched, the Lord blessed it and they had all this increase. Well, that was happening for Potiphar's household. So what he saw was, hey, I'm going to continue to give it. So he gave everything under his responsibility. So he didn't know what he owned except for when he sat down to the meal, there was food. Right? That, was, that was his full oversight. So a slave, Joseph, obedient, trustworthy, serving for his master's benefit. He wasn't getting paid There was no real hope for things to get better, but he was serving, and that was pleasing to God. Um, And even when he got into a spot where his master's wife tried to tempt him to do the wrong thing, he he refused. He was not going to be unfaithful to his master or to God, right? So if you want to go study out a good example of seeing all these attributes of submission to authority and doing it for God's sake, regardless of the circumstances, go read through about Joseph. So... This easily translates to our relationships as employees or employers, whichever side we're on, of how we interact as one in authority versus one under. It also translates in our relationships as children to our parents, right? That our parents are in a position of authority over us as children, right? They're put there by God, and so when we submit to them, it is because we are obeying God, right? And when we disobey them, not only are we disobeying our parents, we're disobeying who, kids? God, right? Same thing for grown-ups for civil authority. 
um, when the police pulls us over and we done wrong, or if we didn't do wrong, we're still to be respectful and submit as much as we possibly can, as long as it doesn't directly conflict with something we're taught that we must do or must not do in Scripture, right? And to do it with a good attitude, right? So, like I said, this is something we all really like to think about and like to talk about, right? Well, we're going to get even harder because we're going to talk about it in the context of our marriages. <laughs> so, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Same principles, it's just applied in the context of marriage. Likewise, so that likewise, that's like a because. All that we've just said before about submitting to civil authorities in chapter 2, about servants obeying your own masters, right? Um, following them even when you're mistreated, right? Because that's a pattern that Christ gave. Likewise, because, same all that came before, in similar manner, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Right, that's one, one sentence. Directed to wives, believing wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. All right, subjection. That word mean literally to be subordinate, to obey, to be under obedience, and that would beg the question: Well, why? Why is it set up that way? Well, I'll tell you. It goes all the way back to Genesis. It is a consequence of sin. Okay, go back to Genesis chapter three and in verse sixteen, as God is dealing with the man, the woman, and the serpent. When he's speaking to the woman after they have sinned and eaten of the fruit that were forbidden, he said unto Eve, uh, unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Right? Why does it hurt to have babies? Sin. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Right, the desire means the longing out or stretching after to her husband and to give the rule, to give the governance. Okay? This is a consequence of sin. This is when that structure was put in place. That place, it remains in place as long as you're in this world and you're married. Right? Um, it will not always be so. Okay? Your marriage ends in death. That's why marriage ceremony says, until death do we part... Your marriage ends then. This is a temporary state. When you're in heaven with the Lord, you become as the angels. No, you don't become angels. Right? That's a misconception. You see that on Facebook. Oh, heaven received another angel. No. Angels don't change into people, and they don't marry people, and they don't have babies with people. You can get a lot of bad theology that way too, but people don't become angels. What he's talking about is that in heaven, there's no one given in marriage. There's no one... Um, being married, you become as the angels, all right? And that the division between men and women will go away, all right? There's not going to be a change in roles, okay? Everyone will be in the same position in service to Christ and God um, with the same role, all right? You're not going to be married any longer. So this is a here and now while you are in sin. When you're in a state where there is no sin, that goes away, okay? But here, this is the structure that God set up. It's replete throughout His Scripture. And so, we are going to operate within that, not trying to come up with our own model. Okay? 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uses the illustration describing the man as the head of the woman. If you read that full um, verse, um, starting to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Sometimes we'll just focus in on that one little clause about the head of the woman is the man. Well, yeah, that's just part of the chain. Okay, And in isolation, if you just have that piece and you ignore all the rest, you can get into uh, a bad scenario where a man thinks that he is a, a dictator, a despot, in total rule and tyranny over his wife, and that she is a, a subject, like a king is subject to him. Right? There is being submissive to him, but it's within the framework and guardrails and beauty of God's design. Okay? So man, men, we are not independent. Right? We are under authority. As we talked about that, I am a man under authority. Who is our head, men? It's Christ. And he even says, who's Christ's head? Christ is God, God the Father. Christ would say over and over and over when he was here that he came not to do his own will, but that of the Father. All right? He came to implement the Father's will. Now, is that in complete agreement with his will? Yes. So, men, as we're implementing a will, is it our own? No. It should be that which pleases our head, which is Christ. Okay? And so, in that context, we are under Christ's authority, and we do things that please him and govern our life in accordance with what he designs and under that our wives are to submit to us as we are their head all right now all of this points to a picture okay go to colossians chapter 5 and 22 not colossians excuse me i want ephesians ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 says wives Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Same premise. Unto your own husbands. Not somebody else's husband. Another man does not have the rule over you. Okay? Your own husbands. Your own husband. Submit unto your own husband. Verse 22. As unto the Lord. What is your motivation for doing it? Because you're serving the Lord. Okay? That's very important. Hold on to that. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For, here's the truth, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. All right, your marriage is a picture of both Christ and his church and the love that Christ has for his church. You said, that that doesn't make sense. How does my marriage do that? Well, this is explaining... That husbands, symbolically, your life as the leader of that family points to Christ and his love and care and responsibility for his family. Wives, your role in that marriage points to that of the church. Does the church ever outrank Christ? Does the church get to tell Christ what to do? No, right? It's operating under Christ's authority. He is always the head. There's no argument in that. Now, we live in a society that says, well, we're 50-50, we're equal. There's no difference between men and women. As far as value in God's eyes, there is no difference. Men, you are not inherently more valuable than a woman. But in our roles that God has given us within this framework, 
we do operate under different roles, right? And it is a glory to God when you fulfill the role that He has given you. When you try to take somebody else's role and one that you haven't been put in, it doesn't glorify Him. Because it says, God, I know better than you. Right? So, when you are submitting unto your husbands, you are fulfilling the picture of the Christ, of the church, submitting to its Lord Christ. Men, when you're loving your wives as Christ loved the church, that is a very caring, tender, self-sacrificial, considerate love. I mean, what more could Christ give for his church? He gave it all, right? He gave his very life to clean up the church. That's the kind of love that when we're doing that, we're glorifying God because we're pointing to his son. Okay? That's, our, that's the purpose of our marriage is to point to God's glory. What has he done? All right? Now, this message of submission um, within the, the marriage context is re- it's repeated frequently. Right? It's just like servants. It's not just an isolated, it only appears once. It shows up quite a few times. So let's go look at Colossians for just a second. All right, two books over. Colossians. Chapter 3. <clears throat> and let's start in verse 17. Because you can see this is the context of your, our entire lives, and then it zooms in to marriage. Colossians three seventeen, uh, And whatsoever you do, whatsoever you do in word or in deed, right? whatever you're doing, whether you're talking or whether you're accomplishing something, whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and the Father by Him. Right? You're doing it in Jesus' name. If you're doing something in Jesus' name, you probably ought to be doing things that please His name, right? Or that would please Him, that He would want His name attached to. Okay? Immediately after that, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Fit means proper, to attain to. Okay? As it is fit. Husbands, and there's always a couple here. There's always a pairing together. It's not just an isolated wives, just hammer it on you. No, it's always both of them. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. All right, now I looked up that word bitter. Um, that can mean both don't be bitter and do not make them bitter, to embitter somebody. Um, the root word of that means a sharp, a sharp smell or taste. They gave a word I'd never used before, acrid. Apparently it's a very pungent or irritatingly strong smell, taste. Y'all ever just been so irritating your spouse would describe you as fuming? Right? It was just unpleasant to be around your presence. Right? That's what it's saying not to do. Right? Don't engage in that, husbands. And don't treat your wives in a manner that leads them to that. Okay? Love your wives and be not bitter towards them. Alright? So... The question, because this is often the excuse that we'll give, is, well, I would do my godly role if so-and-so would do their godly role. It would be a whole lot easier for me to do what I'm supposed to do if the other party would too. And so my question to you is, is your obedience to God, who are you serving? As unto the Lord, as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. Is your obedience to God in your role, either as husband or wife, 
Is it conditioned on the other party's behavior? Well, you know if I ask that question, <laughs> the answer is pretty obvious. No, it's not. I tell my children when they get into altercations with each other, and they want to explain what the other person is doing, and if they just stop doing that, then I wouldn't react that way. And what I tend to find myself saying is, you cannot control the behavior of the other person, right? But in each instance, whose behavior can you control? Your own, right? How do you react? How do you respond? Even when provoked. I was a good provoker, but my brother was better at it. Right? Seriously. He was a great provoker, and he did it quietly so that he wouldn't get heard by the adults in the front seat of the car, but he provoked, 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 provoked. I'd haul off and hit him, and who do you think got in trouble? <laughs> the one who was less subtle. Right? <laughs> right? But I knew how to provoke too, but did he control my reactions? I did. Or my lack of control, but it was on me, right? As husbands and wives, we are responsible for our own behavior whether the other person is doing what they're supposed to or not. Now, you go back to 1 Peter. It anticipates that the other party, the husband here, is not doing what he's supposed to. Read the sentence. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Okay? You've got somebody who's not fulfilling their godly role as a husband here, and the instruction is you be faithful and obedient anyway. Now this could be um, several scenarios. Um, It could be one who uh, is a child of God who has not been regenerated yet. And so they can hear the word and they just don't care. When you're in that state of being dead in trespasses and sins, you don't care. That's craziness. And if you're married to somebody who is Believing that, you, she's kind of nutty, right? And so in that state, someday when the Lord gives them eyes to see, and that's by His operation alone, it's not going to be you doing good enough as a wife to get Him there. But when the Lord does that all on His own and He's given eyes to see, He'll have years to look back on in memories and see, wow, I get to glorify God because my wife was faithfully serving Him by doing what she was called to do, even when I wasn't. Right? Now, there's another scenario. It's one you may not like to think about, but it may be the one they're married to is not a child of God and will never be born again. You know what? Even in that, on the day of judgment, they'll still glorify God because of your faithful service to Him. Go back to chapter 2 and in verse 12. Right, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, so now they're blaspheming you as evildoers, that they may, by your good works, which they shall behold... Glorify God in the day of visitation. So even an unbeliever now, on the day of visitation, they're all going to believe, right? There's going to be sight and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Well, they will have seen your good works and even though I vilified you and treated you badly and didn't encourage you in your Christian walk, he's still going to have to glorify God because you did the right thing serving God in that time. Okay? So there's no excuse for us not to serve God and to fulfill our role within the marriage. Now, some of these little fellers, y'all aren't married yet, right? Right? No. When you're ready to support a family, you can start considering that question. There may be somebody watching online. I hope so. 
um, who's in the process of thinking about picking a spouse. So here's the word of caution. Young ladies, you need to pick a man that you are willing to be led by, that you're willing to submit to, and who will strive to love you as Christ loves His church. What are your criteria for picking a man as a husband? That. Okay? Guess who can only fulfill that? A believer. An unbeliever is not going to strive to love you as Christ. And if you are a believer and you're trying to submit to and be led by one who's not a believer, you're not being led in the same direction. Okay? This is what it means uh, in... uh, being unequally yoked, right? I thought I had that written down somewhere, but when you are unequally yoked, yeah, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter six. When you're unequally yoked, so look at it. And we'll read it. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord or agreement hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with him that is an infidel? It's all saying the same thing four different times. Okay? A unequally yoked um, arrangement literally means to associate discordantly. Okay? You ever had teeth? For gears, right? They go together and they fit. That would be something that that worked. To associate discordantly, well, if you're a young lady and you marry a man who is not following Christ, it's like hitching up two horses. One facing forward and the other facing backward. And you've got to be led, led by this bubba over here who is not walking towards your Lord. Now, can the Lord, if He's one of His, will He grant Him Regeneration at some point and turn him towards him? Yeah. But is it wise to go into that marriage until you've seen that? I would submit it's not wise. I'm not going to say you have to be the exact same denomination. I think it is best to be on the same doctrinal page before you enter in. But if you are pursuing a relationship as a young person with someone who is not a believer, it is walking into that that harness, saying, I'm going to get married, knowing you're not going the same direction. Okay? And that's just talking naturally, because naturally they're alive, right? You're going to have goals, you're going to have dreams, you're going to have things that you're trying to accomplish, and if your motivation is seeking Christ, and theirs is not, there will be friction and conflict your whole life. Okay, Mason? Alright, right, so let's do it from the boy side, guys. If you're trying to um, choose a young lady, okay, will you ever find someone who is going to desire to seek the Lord to submit to you as a godly husband unless they're a believer. You won't. You mentioned that on a dating profile. I'd like someone who will submit to me as as, as a godly woman. You'll get a lot of crickets. But to find and to find and to find the joy of a helpmeet of a godly woman who can aid and comfort and help give you um, 
additional wisdom. So that's, that's part of the role of the wife, is giving husband wisdom. Because guys, we have blind spots, right? A lot of them involve people and emotions. And we can come up with a great idea. It just sounds perfect. It meets all the checkboxes of what we need to accomplish. And your wife will go, hey, but you forgot about this person and this person and this person. That's going to make them feel this way and it's going to hit this and you've got this other conflict, right? There are skill sets that wives have that men we just think at. Right? It's not the way we're, we're wired. Um, and so to find someone who will aid you and love you and encourage you towards Christ, that's something that you need um, if you want to have the best possible godly marriage. Because right? what is your marriage got to be founded on, guys? Got to be founded on Christ. Patrick, the wise man built his house upon a rock. a rock. Tell me, who is the rock? God. Jesus, right? And so if I'm trying to build my marriage on Christ and someone I'm yoked up to is over here and their portion of the marriage is on sand, will that ever be strong? No. All right? Now, naturally, I use that illustration of the two horses going the different direction. Right? Let's talk about our natural lives. In a spiritual life, when you're unequally yoked, you know what it's like? It's like you're being hitched up to a dead horse. you got one who's alive and one who's dead. You're trying to go along, and the one who's alive, will you ever go very fast? Will you ever have somebody to share the load? Will you ever be encouraged? And you'll always be slowing down, right? And so, that is the word of caution, young people as to look very carefully, not on the outward appearance. I, I mean, find somebody you think's pretty, that's good. But beauty only lasts for so long. But if you find a godly woman or a godly husband, one that you're willing to submit to as a sister, one that you trust would be wise, one who trusts to lead you, and men, someone uh, that is a godly woman who's seeking the Lord, um, that's someone to value. Uh, it would be dangerous and foolhardy. Can, can the Lord change hearts? Absolutely. But should you go into a situation tempting the Lord in that way? Right. Let's go back to First Peter. Right. So... Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. Alright. While they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair, or the wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of the meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of a great price. Alright, so adorning. The idea of adorning is, 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 is decorating. You know, what, are, what are the accoutrements, that's a fun word, right, of your, of your life? Um, we, we mentioned this last week, and so I won't spend a whole lot of time, but we looked at Titus when it talked about the servants. Um, said, exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not back-talking, not purloining, which means stealing, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior 
in all things. Right? And I use this kind of silly illustration of if the doctrine of God is this chain that's around your neck, those big thing, bling things, right? When you're doing what God wants you to do and you are submitting in that scenario and you're being obedient and good idea, it's like having these diamonds and jewels adorning that. The doctrine of God is glorified and looks better. But when you disobey and you're rebellious and you're uh, discontent and, and unfaithful, right? It's like linking on banana peels and nasty fish heads, right? It does not bring honor to God's doctrine, right? That you're a Christian, you're following Him. Well, do I bring Him honor or do I bring Him glory, right? That's the adorning of it. And so here it's talking about adorning. Who's adorning? Let it not be the adorning of the uh, outward. Well, let me let me pause this. Plating of hair, wearing of gold, and putting on of apparel. If you read these verses right here, it does not say you cannot braid your hair. It does not say you cannot ever wear jewelry or that you cannot put on apparel. Because if the first two are just blanket prohibitions, then you'd have to be walking around naked too, right? That's a foolish reading. That's a legalistic reading that tries to say that you must do something because of this. It's just teaching a point. And the point is your priority. Your focus. Are you more focused on the outward beauty, sisters, or are you more focused on the inward beauty, which is obedience to God, right? And glorifying Him, okay? It is a matter of focus. This is not a blanket prohibition saying you cannot ever do these things. Verse 3 is talking about physical beauty, right? The stuff on the outside, the plate in your hair. How do you wear your hair? The wearing of gold, putting on of apparel versus the hidden man of the heart. What are you more concerned about decorating your life with? That which is temporary and fleeting that goes away um, with age, right? When you're in high school, you think, oh, I looked one way, and then 10 years later, things are different, right? 20 years later, things are different. 20 years later, things are different, right? Our natural beauty is going to fade. That's just life. Right? If you don't think beauty is temporary, look at it from the time you wake up to the time you wake up the next day. Right? right? You get everything all put together and then you go to sleep. Like, whoa! Right? It's temporary. But the internal, focusing on the inner man, walking in the spiritual walk, the hidden man of the heart, that which is not corruptible. Right? That's the only thing about you that's going to go on. You've been made born again Spiritual life given to you by the Holy Spirit, that's eternal. That doesn't stop. Okay? Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. So, which do you think God values more? How you doll yourself up? Or how you grow in the inner man? It tells you right there. The inner man is to him of a great price. He puts high value on that. Okay? Reality is you have a finite amount of time. You have a finite or limited amount of time, energy, resources that are available to be spent in this world. You can spend them on culminating and cultivating and uh, growing your physical attributes, or you can spend them on your spiritual attributes. Now, this is not saying that 
you cannot wear clothes and that you cannot take reasonable care of yourself. That's, 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 the, that's too far into the ditch, right? But there's a way of taking care of yourself physically without it becoming the idol in your life of this is the most important thing, right? So let's talk about the spiritual beauty. Right? So there's, there's natural beauty over there. It shouldn't be the most important thing. God doesn't value it as the most important thing. But it talks about the heart, the hidden man of the heart, which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. So you want to talk about putting these jewels and diamonds on this, this chain, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of God. Here's telling you what one is. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. All right. Meekness. You look up Strong's, it says gentleness. Quick, click in the pen, please. Gentleness. I looked up in a, one of our New Testament dictionaries, Kittle, and it had this quote on this particular Greek word. It says, Gentleness is a mark of true righteousness, of true righteousness who are inspired by divine wisdom. It is demonstrated in the whole walk of the righteous and stands in pleasing contrast to bitter zeal and contentiousness. Gentleness. Manifested in our whole life, our whole walk. Okay? Is Christ our role model? Yes. <laughs> Christ is our role model. So we look to Him to... Did he display meekness and gentleness? Yes. yes, you better believe it. Go back to Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 29. 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am meek and lowly. That's our Lord. He is approachable. He came in this humble form. He was gentle. That's the model that when we're in authority, that's the model that we live out. When we're in a submissive role, that's what we live out. Um, I mean, you could see that in his entrance, in, entrance into Jerusalem, right? They come in on the great big charger with, you know, legions of troops behind him. I mean, was it just this noble parade? It was probably a pretty strange sight. I mean, you got all these folks cutting branches and throwing them in the road, putting their clothes in the road. I mean, folks who don't know what's going on, they're coming out here. Big old raft of people coming. Who are we going to see? Is it going to be this great warlord and riding an elephant or something? I mean, is it going to be... And it gets to him. <laughs> He's riding on a baby donkey right? that had never been ridden. So it's broken, right? He can break any will, right? It's twenty-one, four through five, and this is this is this is something that the prophets had said. 
back in Isaiah and I think Zechariah, it says, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And that's exactly how it did. Right? That's... We say, I want to be more like Jesus. Okay? Well, our pride's got to be the first thing that goes. Right? We need to humble ourselves and to be meek and gentle and lowly. And if you remember back on the Sermon on the Mount, that was what he described you know, is the righteous, right? This is all attributes of the righteous described in, in uh, chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The first two were, were talking about him, right? This is talking about you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They shall be the uh, heirs to the earth, right? What does that mean? Does that mean I'm going to get deed to the land? And, uh, here. Not this corrupted creation, right? This is this is a sin cursed world. Not only the people, but you know, it's been cursed. But there'll be a, a new heaven and a new earth, and the only inhabitants of that will be the righteous. <coughs> and only righteous by his work and by his grace. But they are described as the meek. Alright? From every kindred, nation, and tongue. Alright? So we're putting on a a meek and quiet spirit. What about quiet? Quiet's an interesting word. It literally means keeping one's seat. It's got the same idea in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, it says, I exhort therefore, first of all, prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That word peaceable is the same one that's translated quiet um, there back in First Peter. Right? Whereas the quiet there means tranquil. But I want you to think about that. Have you ever seen any videos of Parliament? Right? They're, they're more excitable than our Congress. Um, that whenever the opposition doesn't like what they say, they all jump up out of their seats and they're hooping, they're hollering, and they're throwing papers, right? That's the opposite <laughs> of us, right? It's more like being undisturbed um, even when there's chaos around you. I know sisters who are raising little children certainly need that blessing, <laughs> right? A meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of a great price. Now, if you go down a little bit in that First Timothy, there's mirroring um, verses discussed. First uh, Timothy two down at verse eight. I will there that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Doubting, in like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. So look, you are allowed to wear clothes. That's good. Modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair of gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh Women, which becometh women professing godliness, with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Not with saving, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So it goes back to, um, why do we not have lady teachers? Later, um... Why do we not have women pastors and teachers? This right here. It's not the role 
that God has put for them. But in the same way, you've got this idea of modest apparel. Where is your focus? The focus is adorning yourselves with good works rather than adorning yourselves with all the costly array, um, you know, trying to create an idyllic persona. You know, today that would involve just all the procedures that you do to try to reduce aging. Right? That's all the same attempt of, if I spend enough money, then I can look like I'm a teenager again, or 20, or whatever it is. Right? That's not, should not be our focus. Let's go back to 1 Peter. Chapter 3. Going to give an example looking back to the pattern of some Old Testament sisters. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, so that old time, that pattern of having that meek and quiet spirit, the holy women also, who trusted in God? Who was their service to? God. Who were they dependent upon? God. Who, service, who trusted to God? Adorned themselves, right? With that quick and quick quiet and meek spirit, being in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and not afraid with any amazements. Okay. Sarah obeyed Abraham. What? What's a couple times that she was called to do something that was really a dumb idea? But her husband told her, this is what I want you to do, and she did anyway. Right? It was a lie about their relationship. They were half-brother and sister, and so when we went down to Egypt, and then later when he we went to the Philistines, each time he'd say, tell them you're just my sister, right? Because he was afraid that they were going to murder her. Now, first time, she was 65. She must have been so pretty he was worried about being murdered. And later when he was in the Philistines, I think she's closer to 90. <laughs> and so, but she must have been a looker um, because he was worried about losing his head over it. But she obeyed. Um, his bad idea. But who, who took care of her? God. The Lord took care of her. Because if you look at Genesis chapter 12, they went to Egypt, um, and she was very pretty, verse 14. Um, they told her the lie, and the princes uh, of Pharaoh saw her and commended her unto Pharaoh. They said, recommend say, hey, that's a good, good wife for you. Why don't you take that one? And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he, you know, was bribing the brother. He entreated Abraham well for her sake. With sheep and oxen and asses, men servant, maid servants, she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. He was defending her. The Lord was defending Sarah, um, even when she was being obedient to Abraham's Abram's bad idea. And they found out about it, and you know, he calls in Abraham. Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Um, you know, I might have taken her to be wife, to be my wife as Pharaoh, and now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And so she was trusting in the Lord, and yet she uh, obeyed her husband. Right? Whose sin would it have been, on whose head would it have been if she had been taken into Pharaoh's? It would have been Abraham's. His responsibility. It would have been on his head. Um, so she obeyed her husband, and also it says, called him, called him Lord. Well, what's that referring to? The only example I could find that was back in Genesis chapter 18. Context is when the Lord and two angels appear to Abraham on the plain of Mamre right before Sodom is destroyed. Right, This is when uh, Abraham's going to have the rushed meal and then um, 
they're going to have a conversation with the Lord of trying to negotiate of how many righteous people does it take not to destroy a city? And he got them down to, well, if there's ten, will he not destroy Sodom? And we know that there wasn't ten. But in the midst of that, um, the Lord uh, says, you know, asks, um, where is Sarah? This is Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. It says, where is Sarah thy wife? Abram says, behold in the tent. And he says, I'll return unto her according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard in the tent door which was behind him. And she's 89 at this point. He was 99. Isaac's going to be born when he's 100 and she's 90. Um, now Abram and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. All right, She had gone through menopause. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being, also, being old also. And so context of that reference to her being... His being the Lord, Abram or Abraham being the Lord over her, um, was as she's laughing about God saying that she's going to have a baby. Um, but that Lord there, that, that means the the master, the one who is in authority over them. That particular word is different than the L O R D, which is in all caps. You know, one is the title of God, Jehovah. This one um, just means the ruler. It's limited to to human rulers. All right, but she she obeyed him, um, and she recognized that she was in a position of authority under his authority. She was a, a subordinate position under his authority. All right, so it was a title of of respect. Okay, you, if you look at Strong's and use that word Lord there in the Greek, it also comes up with Sir. Okay, so that was the pattern. That this is not a new subject that Peter's addressing to these. It's the same pattern. Um, that's been continued from old. And it says, Whose daughters ye are? And that introduces that concept of spiritual Israel versus natural Israel. And we won't get into that very much today. It says that, you know, you as believers are like a daughter of Sarah. Um, as long as you do well, as you're living this out, and are not afraid with any amazements. What do you think he means by amazements? When I think about that, I think about one who has someone come in and teaching something new and they've got a little sleight of hand or cunningness to them and you get, you get really thrown off and you're followed about it and you're distressed. Um, I think this is what's being referenced in Ephesians chapter 4 when it talks about why we need to grow up in the Lord. Right? Right, Patrick? To grow up that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. It doesn't even have to be that persuadable, persuasive. It's just, oh, I've heard something new. So I'm following that, right? Um, by the sleight of men. Y'all ever seen anybody messing around with those little cups trying to find the ball, right? It's all sleight of hand. The most magic trick is too. The sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But rather, we should speak the truth in love and may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Right? So not amazed by these terrors, not scared by new doctrines or things, but being rooted and grounded in the truth. Um, you know, this is the same idea that's over in uh, 2 Timothy when it talks about false teachers coming in and leading silly women astray. The, the, the silly women, the, the, the gullible. Those who are uh, susceptible to false teachers. Um, and so our admonition for that would be like what's in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 5 and 21, it says, Prove 
All things. Test all things. Examine all things. What do you keep? Hold fast that which is good. Right? That's, that's our role. Now, men, as leaders, who should her first line to be to come ask questions from? Us. Right? And so we need to be ready to answer. Or ready to study. <laughs> to figure out a specific question if we don't know it offhand. But um, we have a, a role and responsibility. If we're reporting to Christ as our head and we're the head of woman, we need to know what His Word says and so that we're prepared to defend our family from these false teachings. All right. Let's go back to First Peter. We're just going to kind of wrap up and we can talk more about husbands later. But just to give the companion, because this is not in isolation, right? You've got the admonition to sisters. Verse 7 goes on with, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. All right. Dwell together. Remain. You married her. Remain. Um according to knowledge, according to the knowledge of God's Word. Right? Not just your own knowledge or any knowledge out there, but according to His knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. And that word honor means to esteem, to hold highly valuable. Your wife is not uh, a trophy, it's not a decoration, it's not property. Right? It is something that you are charged with care of and that has high value. And so you should dwell with them according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife. And it says, unto the, the weaker vessel. Now, you go use that expression out in popular culture, you might get shot. But here's a, here's a fun uh, objective uh, stat. I was looking at the difference in height between men and women. Now, the height across continents varies dramatically. North America versus the Philippines, right? I'd be a big dude in the Philippines. <laughs> Over here, I'm about average, right? But do you know that there's a pretty consistent gap between men and women across all the continents? It's about four and a half inches. If the men's this high, right? it's, it's pretty consistent. Sometimes it's five inches. But it's, there is a difference. God created us differently. right? In our bodies and strength and what we're able to do, there's a reason in the Army there's two different standards for ladies going into the military and men. right? We're different. Does that mean less valuable? No. Different? Yes. Why? We were created for different roles. Men to protect and provide and care for? Yeah, that's what you're designed to do. You better do it. Okay? But giving honor unto them as unto the weaker vessel. Right? Valuing them. Um, why? Because recognizing that you're both heirs together of the life of grace. This goes on to that idea of that marriage is temporary. In the eternal, you're just both co-heirs, right? You're not, you know, a, a recipient of a bigger piece of heaven than she is, right? God's not a respecter of persons. Whether you're in a leadership role or in a submissive role, you're still equally valued to God, and your role together in heaven is going to be the same, okay? There's no distinction in respecter of persons between God. And so, when you're caring for her and, and giving her value and honor, you're pleasing God. And you're fulfilling the role. And you're recognizing the truth that these roles are just temporary. Right? 
But this is one whom God has given my charge. This is one whom his son has died for. She is of high value and high honor, worthy of honor, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. There is a consequence for disobeying this. Men, if we turn into despots, ignoring or abusing uh, wives, um, that will be problematic in our life. You will not have a good spiritual walk with the Lord if you are disobeying Him in this regard. Okay? Go see verse 12 of the same chapter. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. If you're abusing and mistreating and not caring for the wife that the Lord puts in your charge, you are doing evil. Has Christ paid for that sin too? Yeah. But will your relationship with the Lord suffer? Yes, it is. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, verse 25, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. That's the standard. As Christ loved his church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. There are people who will take the biblical doctrine of authority of a husband and the submission of a wife, and they will distort it, and they will make it something vile and ugly, um, and use it for men to lord over their wives, to physically abuse them. None of that is permitted by Scripture. Okay, Men, you're to love your wife like Christ loved His church. Okay, Is He ever going to abandon His church? Nope. What if the church disobeys? Nope. Is there ever any time we see the Lord striking his church. No. Now individually, will the Father teach us and chasten us? Yes. That's His role. Man, our, our role... And I don't, I don't let the boys watch McClintock anymore because the, the culmination of that show is that, well, husbands, you got to raise your hand to your wife. That is not scriptural. There is no authorization for that. There is no biblical pattern for Christ's example for His love for the church to bear that out to be tender and loving and compassionate and meek and gentle and mild as our Lord. Um, and so, as hard as this doctrine is to hear for our culture, even within this context, we have to be operating within the guardrails and the glorified beauty of the structure that God designed it. Not some distorted caricature or masquerading. So this is something that husbands, we should approach this role with grave seriousness and responsibility. Okay, That in all that I do, 
I have to reflect what Christ wants. And when I don't, that's my failing. It's not me getting the opportunity to put my will on top of it. Sisters, you get to glorify God by submitting to your husbands and and that brings glory to God. It does. Regardless of whether your husband is (laughs) meriting it at the moment, you still are pleasing your Heavenly Father. Is this stuff hard to hear? Yeah. Does our carnal self want to say, No! I want to do it my own way! Yeah, your carnal self will. That's why this is a spiritual conversation. This is from the heart out. From the spiritual inner man. This is something like, this is why it's worth cultivating. And spending that time caring and being in the Word and praying and Lord asking for grace and trying and striving. Because these are the things of how we can please God better within His framework. So I hope this has given you something to think about and we can talk about it further at lunch if you have any additional questions. Thank you all.